Hello and welcome back to the Skylight Books Podcast. I'm Tyler, your host, uh, also a bookseller at the Los Feliz location of Skylight Books. Uh, I'll be joined today by Charles Romesco. Uh, sorry, Charles Romesco is a film and television critic living in Brooklyn. In addition to The Guardian, his work has appeared in Rolling Stone, Little White Lies, Vanity Fair, Newsweek, Forbes, Nylon, Vulture, Freeze, The AV Club, IndieWire, The Dissolve, Box, and Pitchfork. All the good places to write stuff on the internet. Uh, he's also the author of Vampire Movies and uh, most recently covers the film The Story of Cinema and Fifty Palettes. Thanks for joining me on the show. That is that is a quite an intro. Thank you very much. It's, I don't think I've ever heard them said out loud like that before. I feel pretty good now. I'm ready for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good, good. I, yeah, well, you know, I want to hype everybody up. We want to come in feeling good. I, yeah, that's what a, a good intro needs to do. And goddamn, you did it. And I'm excited to be here. Well, first, I just wanted to say I, I, the book's amazing. Love the book. You're, I, I have to just quickly say before we go get out of the way, probably the best dedication uh, of a book that I've, I've read so far this year. I, I think that's such a great, uh, like, it's, appropriate. Uh, yeah, my, um, it's dedicated to my fiance, uh, who, who we're going to be husband and wife soon enough. And yeah, I mean, it was, it was definitely a no brainer because the whole process, I, I became as the um, process of researching and writing went on increasingly neurotic about just so many different things and eventually things unrelated to the book at all. And then she was very patient and abiding about everything. And so I, I, I thought I owed that to, definitely owed that to her. Plus I love yeah. it. That's the other part. Well, that's very nice. That's good to hear. You want that. Uh, well, I just, and I'll, I'll guess I'll quickly, do you want to, do you want to shout it out real quick? Cause I think it's, it's very appropriate for the book as well. Yeah, what is it? It's um, <clears throat> uh, for Maddie, without whom my world would be monochrome, right? Is that what it says? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's Touch a, of the poet in you. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're a bit of a Thank poet. Thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, so I guess, you know, well, uh, just where, where, does, uh, where does this idea for this book, where, do, where does it originate? Where, where do you get your ideas from? Uh, so in the broadest possible terms, uh, the publisher, uh, Francis Lincoln, which is a UK outfit, approached me about the idea that was just in the simplest terms of doing a book about color and film. Uh, and so I thought about that and, and pretty much everything beyond that was devised in, yeah, those early planning stages where I knew um, there's something itemized I thought would be the best way to cover as much ground as possible because breadth was so much, you know, the point of this. And so I didn't want it to read like a listicle. And so there were a lot of conversations early in this point about the sort of conceptual through lines that dictate what has been picked uh, to be included in this book and, and the sort of um, the way history gives way to, you know, the successive phases of history. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I was surprised uh, mostly that in suggesting, you know, we set it on the number of 50, that sounded like a good, thorough, but humane number. And I sent in my suggestions and I think there were like, these all look good. Uh, there was no, 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 there, there were a very small handful that they were like, I think it would be nice if you included these, all of which I was like totally um, into in the first place. I think Grand Budapest was one of those, mm. Spirit Way, uh, Schindler's List, and uh, one other one, I, I don't remember, but no, uh, their suggestions all great with me and they were very cool about everything, uh, right down to like Saw 2. I sent in like some really grisly yeah. uh, screenshots and they were like, we like this one and this one. You can pick one of them. And I was like, all right, <laughs> fine. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it, it was the kind of thing where I was so surprised that it did not exist in some form already because it seems like such like a rich, fertile way into learning about, the history and the politics and the culture of film. 
absolutely and uh i think it kind of does a great job of i mean like you say it's like it's sort of a, a historical it's like it's technological it's artistic it's a cultural criticism like you kind of bounce around between all those things over over these 50 movies and so was there a way that you were trying to specifically like strike that balance uh within each entry i think um the, the balance was not incidental but it was helped in that there are definitely some entries in which there is a specific technique that has been like devised or is being used and that is where your focus is going to be and there are yeah I guess in in that way there was a balance in that I knew there wanted to be I wanted to be you know the book to be a combination of history and technical explication and criticism and so the movies where it's less uh about the techniques uh, physically that the colors are generated by and more you know, the way they're creatively deployed uh, speaks to the other side of that. Yeah, I guess um, it, it shook out mostly in that I think I would have gotten bored writing uh, in any one way about all this. If this was like just a thoroughly technical book, number one, I don't know that I would have been qualified to do it because so, so much of this was acquainting myself with the way that uh, really basic machines work that I definitely should have known about having studied film my whole life before now. Um, but yeah, no, I don't think I would have been the guy to write about it if it was just that or if it was just, you know, going to be a really deep tissue dive into like the symbolism of of color and in, in film. And so I think of sort of bringing all those together was a way to keep the book varied and uh, readable and to keep me uh, from repeating myself or, or sort of feeling creatively stagnated. You do. I mean, obviously, all those things really work together in tandem and it, it works that way as sort of, I think when you, when you start to talk, you know, about something from the early 20th century, there, there's, you, it's hard to avoid a historical sort of context. Yeah. A lot of it is uh, putting it in context and, you know, sort of trying to shine a light on people that as much as, you know, film scholarship is, uh, is helped along by stuff on social media or whatever, this is, I think, there's a register of the past that people just don't bother with. And that's really, really important, uh, even for, you know, modern day, relevant to new releases and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so yeah, you, you decided on 50. What was the, was the list making process on your set? So it sounds like, you know, you're able to submit them. They were pretty cool with everything. Was it tough to get to 50? Or, or I mean, I guess tough to get it down to 50. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what it was. It was tough getting it down to 50, not uh, getting to 50. Um, it was definitely a situation where, again, you know, breadth was the name of the game and that I wanted to cover as much in terms of time, in terms of uh, scale of production, you know, smaller films all the way up to big Hollywood productions. I wanted uh, to spread the wealth around globally and sort of see how, uh, as the 20th century rolls on, the technology for color film becomes more commercially feasible in, you know, a wider swath of the planet. Um, and so, yeah, in deciding which were going to be the 50 I set a few rules which I was like obviously we only need one film per director I'm not going to double up on anyone even though I could and I wanted to um and once you start to you know with each entry kind of informally and then as the pitch solidified very formally uh you want an idea to be behind each one that you were including and so you don't want a redundancy in terms of picking two movies that are going to illustrate the same idea, I guess. And so that is why, you know, 
there was a point when I was like, all right, you have to pick between Singing in the Rain and Bandwagon and, uh, you know, Mimi and St. Louis. You can only have one. I, uh, <laughs> I, it was like I had to start negotiating with myself. I was like, you can have one of them if you pick your favorite. Um, and so, yeah, there were, there were definitely repeats like that. Like I knew, you know, I wanted to have a classical Western to illustrate the way that Ford shot the American West and the way that that uh, sort of brought people out there and, and part of that dream. Classical musical, I definitely wanted um, an emphasis on horror, uh, which I think falls by the wayside in discussions like this was really important to me. And so I knew that I definitely knew I wanted a Herschel Gordon Lewis movie in specific because he was like really at the forefront of getting that color of blood and, and getting the quantity of that amount of blood. Um, <laughs> Um, and so, yeah, that's uh, it, it, it eventually, you know, winnowed itself down. And I think it was like I spent a day stuck at 53 and I just kept going over and over and couldn't figure out uh, what I was going to lose. And I wish I could remember now what some of those ones I had to lose were. I don't know if I remember them. I'll bring that up. I was going to say that's always, you know, what, what could have been. But I know. Yeah. You know. So, so second edition, that's we'll, we'll stick in. It'll kick it up to 53. There you go. Yeah, exactly. You know, one for every day of the week and uh, the next year, you know, you get one more for savings there. One bonus. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, as I was, you know, I just singing the rain kind of things in my mind because that's uh, such a colorful, unbelievably gorgeous looking film. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it, it's hard not to just like uh, gaze at it, uh, you know, but uh, you, you include an amazing screenshot from and, and speak at length about the dream ballet, which I always feel like now, like, I don't know when I was younger watching that or if I was like in a, watching at home as a kid or like in high school, I was always like, oh boy, let's, can we fast forward through this? And now I'm like more, 10 more minutes of the dream ballet, more beautiful. A whole um, movie should be, yeah. Just a full dream ballet, yeah. <laughs> I was uh, I was raised on MGM musicals by my mother's parents uh, who they had like a big VHS set of all the Freed Unit movies and stuff like Yankee Doodle Dandy and Meet Me in St. Louis. And I, I was actually the exact same way where when I was young, my favorite part of Singing in the Rain was the funny parts. Like I like Donald O'Connor when he runs through the wall. That was uh, that was my favorite. And then by the time that happened, my sister had dance recitals and I was like, I feel like I'm at one of these dance recitals. <laughs> what am I doing here? Uh, but no, I mean, as an adult, I, I see that now, you know, it is pure rapture front to back. And more to the point, I remember at the same time when I was young, my favorite thing in the world, uh, which is also in the book, uh, is Fantasia. I, I knew yeah. I thought we should have some sort of early Disney animation. Uh, it was either gonna be that or Snow White was the other option. But yeah, Fantasia, which is that same sort of like very expressionistic, very sort of form pushing, uh sort of abstract uh pay into art itself and i guess it made sense for me when there were like monsters running around and stuff and less so and it was gene kelly doing a pas de deux uh with situaries yeah i guess you know as your kid you're just like oh, all right animation it's great i can you know i can yeah. i loved cartoons i still do yeah, yeah cartoons cartoons are great i can watch this but then yeah so exactly once yeah once she's on the ladder with as you say the very infinity scarf or whatever <laughs> Yeah, that's so the you bring up a good one, which is I wanted more animation. That was actually one of the ones that I was closest to where it is represented kind of scantily. There's Fantasia and there is Spirited Away because I definitely knew we had to have Japanese animation in there as well. And there is, you know, 
an animated element to the really heavily digital movies. But I did want to like get more into the weeds with stuff like that. I was thinking about maybe doing Fantastic Planet, which is a very, uh, has a unconventional relationship to color that also teases out ideas about race. I thought maybe, um, I love Yellow Submarine. I love Beatles Yellow Submarine a lot, which gets into psychedelia in the sixties. And so these were, you know, these are now cutting room floor ideas, which I, you know, saying it out loud, I'm like, I think I made the right choice. I feel good about the sort of centrality of the ideas that I landed on. Definitely, definitely. Uh, and, and Miyazaki, I mean, you can, I mean, yes, Miyazaki goes without saying. The king. Yeah. The king. The great. Uh, just somewhere right now, chain smoking, having the time of his life. I'm Cursing sure. out his son. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> for, for that uh, amusement park oh yeah it's gonna be great uh so so i guess even coming further back like as a young film fan like when did you start noticing the use of color like when did that first occur to you or do you do you remember yeah that's um i'm there, there definitely was not one moment in specific i think there was probably a time in high school like high school or college when I realized that that was a constant in a lot of my favorite movies that I really like you know I like things that are vivid and that feel more <clears throat> exuberant than life and so I, uh, I I watched Enter the Void a lot in college which is also one of the books the movies that ended up in the book um, although you know to be honest it was really when I started this project that I started to take note of how color is used in film and all the different ways that it is expressed in films that I don't even think foregrounded that much, but it is just, it's a really good way in sometimes in a, in a, in a capacity you wouldn't think about. I think there are movies that don't really shove it in your face, that don't wear it on their sleeve, but that in looking at that, you can learn a lot about, you know, what the filmmaker wants you to see and how they want you to feel about uh, what's on screen. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it can be so subtle, but, uh, or, or it could be, again, I always come back to, um, like do the right thing. And it's like every wall is painted red. And you're just like, Jesus, it's hot. Yeah. The hot Absolutely. movie. <laughs> you can see the, the, um, have you seen, uh, Asteroid City, uh, at this point, I guess it, it's out this weekend. Not um, yet. We'll be first in line though. Great line about how uh, the air there out in the little desert town where this whole thing takes place is neither hot nor cold, but it is like, what did they say? It's like sharp and unforgiving. And then when you see the first shot of this town, you're like, oh my God, they absolutely made it look like that. It's uh, through the use of, of, you know, the color of rocks and the color of the sky. And you're like that totally, oh, it's, it's crazy. He's so good. Yeah, he really, we, we've, I've, so my uh, partner and I, uh, Audrey, have been doing it like long, we've been doing our like Anderson re-ramp watch up through into this one. And uh, I don't know, I just, uh, yeah, he's really, he's really good. I like, I like his late ones so much. I mean, he's just, it's been a while since he's made a movie that I did not really flip for uh, on first viewing. Yeah, but we, yeah, I really liked Dispatch. But I, I always, we always go back to Tenenbaums where a friend had like gifted, like was getting rid of a massive DVD collection. And so I just like went through and snagged a bunch of things, but uh, Tenenbaums, the Criterion Tenenbaums was in there. And so. Uh, that's that like, was, I feel like that's rare at this point. I don't know the, if that is still getting new prints or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, uh, it felt like when I looked online, it was, it was, yeah, I was like very happy to get it. It's also was like very well used. So I was like, okay, good. Now I can bring it into my home and, and burn it out myself. But uh, nice. just like fascinating. It, just that movie also just like a, a warm blanket of, uh, and he's so funny. 
he's just so funny. Like I don't I don't think he gets credit for that. He's, I love um movies about big fractious families and he's so good at writing them. Yeah. Oh god. Well, I mean that's a movie with like again color, like everybody's so like well defined by their colors in that film that you can just watch it and be like, oh that's that that's and you know, uh, smart, smart guy. Uh good <laughs> at making movies. Uh so, so I, I uh, in your book, so I loved in your book. It's it's like basically like half an art book, which I it's always so cool to me. And I love that. So it's like you have all these great images. So how was it also going through and like collecting screenshots and making the choices for that? Yeah, the um, I, I have to hand it to the design team. Whereas like it looks so good, and I feel like I can say that about my own book because that was in no way my doing. Is that um. <laughs> The publisher uh, that owns Francis Lincoln, which is called Cordo, they've got this like really, really great team of people who were very patient with me as I um, I sent individual time codes for I was like, it has to be this part of this shot at this very moment. And they would send me one and I was like, the blues do not look blue enough. I don't know where you source this, but it needs to look like this. And I made a lot of very, uh, I'm sure, annoying um, demands because I thought it, it only makes sense if the image that you're seeing matches the description that I am writing. And so it, it's gotta be, you know, the one. Um, but they were, you know, they they put up with all of my nonsense and they were really, really good at their jobs. They, they <laughs> found, you know, in some instances from really out of the way movies, uh, good looking uh, stills that illustrate the principles we're talking about that are in the intended colors that um, it, it really, you know, it's, it's it, it would only be half a book without them. You have to be able to see that. I um, was really excited in that actually, a friend of mine who is colorblind, I believe red, green, colorblind, uh, because they include the little color codes uh, at the bottom with each diagram of the color scheme, uh, he was able to like look them up and compare them and develop and, you know, awareness of what I was actually talking about. He saw that. He was like, I got a lot out of this, even uh, in, in colorblindness. And so let that, that's like the best recommendation I can think of. It really is. That's awesome. I was going to mention the codes are so great. I, was that uh, was that your was your your idea or how did that come about? Uh, that was, I think, uh, the I the actual codes was part of the design team. They were like, we should have the lookup codes so that you can. Uh, their idea was that this could be useful for professionals. Is that if you are working on a film and you're like, I'm looking for the kind of like prawn to dark blue nighttime digital kind of thing, and so you can open the book and you're like, oh, it's you know number. XYZ. Yeah. And so I hope, you know, it can be a useful reference in that way. Um, I just thought, you know, useful information to have, but that was uh, the design team's touch. That was definitely uh, one of their, you know, it was a great idea. Yeah. It's one of those things like I wouldn't, I, I guess it's uh, like any kind of great idea like that. You, you wouldn't necessarily know to miss it, but now that it's there, I'm like, oh, that's so smart. That's so brilliant. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Color has been cataloged and standardized and like you can you can quantify and look up color it, it seems like such like a slippery abstract thing but you can actually like put a magnifying glass on a red and be like ah yes this is red number one three five five seven two and it looks exactly like this every time and um it's just yeah it's, it's kind of amazing it's it's weird to think that it's become something that you would be like well that's such an art or such a subjective thing is is like definable it doesn't it doesn't really we pin that down we uh, we got that yeah <laughs> we figured that out years ago don't worry about it. uh i was gonna say well you kind of mentioned the the painstaking process of like going through and making sure the blues were the right blue which is sort of kind of plays to, to a part of the, the book's thesis a little bit which is that that a all of film is uh, unfortunately even from whatever it's finished 
whatever the director's last pass is his final like idea this is what i'm going to give to the world is yeah. very editable it can be changed it can be transmuted and all these things and eventually over time one of those things is color it just degrades it changes and so I don't know, I just was going to let you talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's um, the, the crazy thing is that film is such a uh, vulnerable form of media that it's pretty much inevitable that over time the color of a film is going to change. I think um, directors put so much in to fine-tuning the colors of their film and making it look a certain way, and there is a kind of tragic irony that, you know, within 20, 30 years, an actual film strip, it's going to turn you know, without proper care, pink or red or orangish, you know, one of these colors, if if you're really not careful, it could burst into flames if you're working with older nitrate stuff like that. And so it's, yeah, it is such, uh, it, it's a living thing. You know, that's what people who work with film always love to say. It's a living thing. And color is, I think, the way through which, uh, color and sound, I think, are the ways through which we see this aging most uh, palpably. You know, you, you, can recognize an old film strip as distinct from seeing a digital projection of a movie. And color is a big part of that. I think uh, even, you know, when you are watching a digital projection, uh, you, you can, you can see that difference. Yeah. Oh, abs absolutely. It's, it's, um, it was funny to go through this book and just like, I obviously you were, you kind of got very uh, technical, but not in a, uh, unapproachable way. Uh, it was, but it was just, it was uh, very like, I guess gratifying or you know not that this isn't thing something in my I hadn't thought or had you know validated for me but it's that this there's something about the graininess of a film print that's like and I think everyone would say this but I'm just like it it reminds me of it's the difference for me of watching a movie and a tv show I'm always just like right this is grainy lovely like you know just something it feels real that way it's yeah I, I think people respond to that and what's more is that people working in digital film know that because so much has been put into trying to emulate that without actually having to buy and learn how to use and develop the expertise required to make work actual film and so what you see is that it's it's i don't know i i don't i don't mean to say that it's lazy but it is it's a it is a cost-effective workaround that you're just like we want this look uh but we have neither you know either the time nor money nor inclination to actually do the work required to get it so we're going to try to you know show you basically a picture we took of that look and give that mm -hmm. to you and my hope I, I i know that i feel like my friends can but i also am friends with uh total you know uh, sick sick people and my hope is that you know i think the average viewer can also sniff out that difference is that seeing like fake um what is it? There is a movie where there's like fake 35 stuff, where it's just, it doesn't look right. It doesn't smell right. It's like eating imitation cheese. Well, so yeah, because I, uh, I feel like, well, so what is it like Knives Out? Steve Yedlin, like has seemed to have like actually, like there's that great Vulture piece with him, I think. It was Vulture New Yorker, or one of them. But, but it was where he like explains this whole process where he's like hacking into the matrices of, of film and like, or of, of digital film to try to create like the halation effect and stuff which are things that like I can I definitely it, it tricks you to a certain extent definitely like it helps in that way but but there are other ones where I feel like they, there's less thought a less thoughtful team of professionals have maybe put put uh, less work into it at that point but yeah well I mean um Netflix is such an important part of this whole discussion of color because they are you know now a very big studio player who have foregrounded 
not the integrity of the image, but almost the opposite of that, where they are giving out two directors making movies under their production company. They are giving them technical specs that are supposed to accommodate streaming on small screens and not being seen on a large screen. And so that is a big reason why their house style has these kind of dull, dead colors, because those are, I, I, I guess, the technical specifics being beyond me, but those are more easily repurposed for being seen on a, on a phone or a tablet uh, or on a TV. And that I obviously find extremely alarming um, because it uh, is not, you know, that does not herald a good future, if you ask me. Uh, no, no, uh, that's bad. That's bad. <laughs> I, that's, uh, I, I didn't know that specifically. I like, it's one of those. And yeah. so, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's not quite that simple and that someone like Ryan Johnson, who had more creative latitude to make this kind of movie, uh, was able to make it look the way he wants to. If you watch it, it does look good. It, it looks, uh, it looks good. In, in such a um, present way that it seems anomalous to the rest of the Netflix movies. I have a monthly column where I write about new films, new Netflix original features. And if you watch these, there are definitely tiers of collaboration of Netflix where there are, you know, there's the Irishman tier where you are given a large sum of money and entrusted to, you know, make a good movie. Uh, and then there is the lower tier of something like, you know, uh, what's, what's the teen? Oh, what? all the plays i've loved before that's the one i was thinking of where yes. if you watch this uh everything is compressed it looks you know the the colors look flat and just kind of uh zombified and you realize that you know that is not an unfortunate uh side effect but that is by design which is yeah pretty pretty spooky there's just something uh i don't know like even watching um like the most recent all quiet on the western front I don't, like there's just something it just which I was not I think they just distributed that but it's like I don't there's I think I heard someone say it this way it's like there's something with the pipes at Netflix like it just gets shot out of there looking flat usually <laughs> like yeah really muddy blues and grays and browns and uh there there is a movie I want to say called Rim of the World directed by your friend and mine McGee uh which just has it looks like uh the whole movie is submerged in the piss Christ jar uh with just like that deep unholy yellowish orange it's uh it's rough stuff Oof, uh well, good to know what he's up to. So thanks for being on the front lines of that. Um, no, yeah, I'm, 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 you, you need me on that wall. Yeah, yeah, we would not survive without you. Deep in places I don't talk about at parties, I'm glad you're out there. Thank uh, you. Charting the Netflix original McGee film. Oh, boy. Uh, so <laughs> so uh, I was going to say the, the other really great thing I love about the book, and we kind of talked around a little bit, but it's just that you kind of break it into these four eras uh of like the way that that film has films have looked uh over the course of like the last hundred or so years and i guess was it you know were, were you able to to kind of easily define those breaking points or was it a little more amorphous and you kind of had to pick a spot yeah i think um i tried to use technological developments as the dividing lines between the four sections although even that is not quite a perfect system and that so like the first section goes from the advent of the moving picture to really the heyday of te Technicolor, which is a sort of, you know, foggily defined uh, marker point. But then the second one goes from that point to the decline of Technicolor in the late 70s and takes you through the entry of color film to other parts of the globe. 
the third section goes from that death of Technicolor through the videotape era, uh, through the, you know, independent film uh, rising in America to the advent of the digital image. And then the fourth one is all digital. Um, and so in that respect, that kind of helped keep everything orderly, although it is not, you know, it's not these are not rock solid boundaries. There are still in that final section um, movies that were shot on film that don't really rely too much on digital elements. And there are, you know, it, it, there are exceptions. It, this is, uh, it, it was just, you know, it, it had to be divided up somehow. And I thought that this was the cleanest way, the less, uh, the least convoluted way to do that. Yeah, and I think it, it all really tracks and works. And I think you can kind of, I think even in people's minds or memories, they can remember sort of that shift from from film to digital or, you know, or heavily digital, digitized sort of uh, films and stuff. But, uh, well, so just, well, I have to circle back because I, I feel like I've done a lot of Technicolor watching uh, in, in my life. And, and especially recently, it's just been like, there's some, it just explodes off your screen in a way that, again, something like a, a, anything on Netflix does not. Yeah. Um, so here, here's, here's really the question. How did you narrow it down to like, one, like how it will success spoil Rock Hunter, Gentlemen's Prefer Blondes, uh, like how, you know, I mean, like how were, were you just wringing your hands? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, it, it was another one where I was like, there were some difficult Sophie's choices to be made there. I, I definitely knew I wanted to have a film by Powell and, Powell and Pressburger involved. And I was pretty firm about Black Narcissus being it. That is definitely one of the big ones. Um, yeah, I, I knew I had to limit myself to one musical gosh, but um, there, you know, you could do a whole book and I'm sure uh, I, I read one that exists already, but you could do a whole book about Technicolor and, and everything done with that. Criterion has a really good section that is specifically, if you search Technicolor, they will show you all of the movies along those lines. And like any one of those could have ended up in the book. Uh, Niagara with Marilyn yeah. Monroe, when she was really young, is uh, an incredible looking movie where it's, you know, not part of this conversation generally about, you know, like the really big Technicolor movies. But when you watch it, it's, uh, you know, you're seeing something unbelievable. Thief of Baghdad. Um, there are just ugh, so many good ones that, uh, I wish I could, uh, I, I love, I mean, that is probably in doing all this, the one I find most interesting is the digital era, but the one that I just like am transported the most by is definitely the technical era. I just, I, I swoon every time I see it. Um, and so I'm, I'm very jealous actually in this past week end, I believe uh, in London, they had uh, the film on film festival at the British Film Institute. Uh, in, in, in one that I had mentioned. And they are showing stuff on like IB Technicolor, they're showing nitrate prints, just like people were, were being carted out of there on stretchers, just totally ravished. It's, I, I wish I could have been there. Ugh, yeah, I, well, there was something so striking and um, about the idea of a comedy on Technicolor. Like it's like, you know, cause I think now you would be like, well, this is the quickest, sturdiest, we don't really have to, or the flattest, most just like sitcom lighting genre. And right. then you turn on something like, again, like Will Success Spoil Rock Hunter or Pillow Talk or like a rom-com, something a rom-com now that like Netflix can churn out 15 a day if they wanted to. And they were just like, this 
wants to just exactly just like fill up my house uh yeah i saw um gosh well, i saw holiday inn uh for the first time uh this past christmas at uh, my fiance's uh, mother's house and i i was thinking about this and i was like this is just a christmas movie they did not have to go this hard but the colors look in incredible just like all the costumes you can see that people were just trying to put this technology through its paces they were like all right we got to have one person all in the same frame they're like person in purple person in orange purple and green person in blue just to show that we can do all of these at the same time which like as recently as 10 years earlier would have been kind of unthinkable it's it's unbelievable yeah yeah uh, yeah well it's, and you kind of speak about like even um like going as far back as wizard of oz where it's like they they kind of figure out this technology and so right exactly artists are like yeah let's go <laughs> like let's let's use it uh it's I, I think that, you know, that is one of the things if you study a century's worth of filmmakers, you see that they are really driven by like an, a, a desire to push their limits is that the best filmmakers get um, restless very easily. And they're always trying to figure out how they can like do something more elaborate, more challenging, more uh, technologically involved. It's uh, it's 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 very moving. I find that. Yeah. Well, and, and you kind of mentioned specifically like Bergman and Kurosawa who were like going to resist for as long as they could and eventually kind of These gave in. Really old guys who were just like, all right, I'm, I'm going to make my color film now and it's going to be the most astonishing thing you've ever seen in your entire life. Uh, God, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah, that, that level of sort of talent and care is, is like unbelievable. Um, thank you for putting Speed Racer in. Like that's... My, that, my was a, that was... That was... You know, near the top of the list. That was absolutely because God, I, I I I get the chills. In fact, I know I had to be on there because the finale of that movie makes me feel the same exact way that like the grand finale of all the great old MGM musicals do. Where I was like, I I just get overloaded with pleasure, and it's uh, it, I, I it's like a sugar high. I love it so much, um, and I think that like that movie is on its way to positive consensus. I know that at the time people had no idea what was going on and they wanted nothing to do with it, but I do think that uh, it's getting there. It feel, I feel that you can feel the tide shifting a little bit. Yeah. I think it's, it's definitely, it's moving in the right direction. Because, uh, and again, I think it now, I, and I don't know, and maybe you feel this way as well, but it's like I, every time I watch something from even 10 or 20, maybe, maybe 20, like the 90s or the 80s, I'm just always like, points for doing something points for making this look good that is yeah i mean that is the saddest aspect of all this is that the the standard just used to be so much higher uh if you were watching you know just a regular late night uh basic cable movie that they would you know play in the 80s uh just establishing shots of like people's apartments look so much crisper and clearer than they do now it's uh it is sad, but it also makes you more acutely appreciate the movies that take the care to make themselves look good. There's, um, I, I didn't think I was going to include it in the book, but in 2016, a movie called How to Be Single starring Dakota Johnson uh, came out. And that is a movie that, you know, it's a pretty bog standard rom-com and it's about living life in the city. Um, we recently, I, I saw How to Marry a Millionaire and I was like, oh, it's, it's trying to do this. My point being, the this movie shot in new york they shot on 35 millimeter film which the director you know fought for and the studio got the studio to pay for and it looks so good and it makes me think so much more highly of the movie it makes the movie better like the jokes are better just because they're you know being done in a movie that you already have this positive affinity for um yeah it's just it, it makes such a big difference and i know that 
a lot of instances, uh, directors don't just have the latitude to just do that. But um, when they do, it, it really makes a, a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny, I think, after so long of, and, and not that I, you know, Apatow is certainly a guy who like uh, has changed a lot of the way comedy works. And I like a lot, I, I love a lot of those films, but there is something more satisfying about a joke feeling like it's in a movie than a sketch being in a movie. Yeah, I, I think that there's definitely something to that. The uh, the art of plotting a comedy has been kind of lost, uh, which is sad because if you watch like the really good, I like I love a good fish out of water premise. If you watch like Trading Places, you're like, what's stopping us from doing something like this? This wasn't that hard. It wasn't rocket science. We're, we're still capable of this. And yet I it's, it's, it's like, these are so rare and so few and so far between. Yeah, um, I know it's ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> Obviously, 2001 A Space Odyssey had to be in the book. What's your relationship to that movie? And and, and then obviously, like, the, the sort of climactic, just colorful uh, walk. <laughs> yeah, that was... Um, so I think, like, a lot of uh, healthy young teenage boys, Kubrick was really, like, my first heavyweight director that I got into. And when I was, like, 13, or, yeah, probably, probably around then, 2001 was the first, like, really challenging poetic abstract movie that I was like oh this is not you know a movie that can be read literally there is a lot of work that you have to do to put this movie together um and so I think you know I I was trying to sort of punch above my weight intellectually a little bit because I was like this is a chance to for me to feel smart like a grown-up watching this movie and then the reward for watching stuff float around in space to classical music for an hour and a half is like you are shot through space at light speed through a rainbow that surrounds you and I was just, I was giddy. I, I couldn't believe it. Um, and then, you know, I saw this again later in life when I was more prepared for everything that it contains. I saw it uh, on 70 millimeter with Keir Delay in person at the AFI Silver in um, Silver Springs, Maryland in 2015. Um, and that was like a transcendent experience because, you know, now that I don't have the impatience of a 13 year old, I can appreciate all the stuff on the space station, like all of the kind of Soviet design stuff. Um, and then, you know, after having appreciated that, that makes the final Stargate sequence all that uh, more potent. I, I was watching this and it was, you know, I, I felt the skin peeling off my face. Like I just opened the Ark of the Covenant. It was incredible. <laughs> Uh, which uh, I will kind of, so I, I had a similar, I think I caught it out here at the new Bev. Um, we like my, they did like a Tuesday, Friday, 2 PM matinee. And it was just like to be in a dark room with a bunch of people uh, flo floating through the Stargate. Is, You're like is, clutching the armrests, trying yeah, not to fly back. Yeah. Just oh holding on. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's, it's really something I, um, I saw, I think shortly after finalizing something it was it was you know the book was locked in but uh I, I saw Babylon uh and which ends much in the same way as 2001 a space odyssey with like this big vortex of color and I was like god if only I could have like I would swap out La La Land and stick that in there in like two seconds that is uh because the ending of the movie essentially puts into visual terms the whole thesis of the book which is that if you break the film image down to its component pieces it turns back into the colors red green and blue yeah. um and that is how the movie ends. And I was just like, God, this guy, he, he really did it on him. He did that for me. Uh, I, I, you, 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 I was about to say, it reminds me of the ending of Babylon. And so that's, it, and it's fascinating. I mean, that was like, a, I, I don't know. I, it seems like you had some, I know that could be a divisive film. I liked uh, it a lot. I, uh, I was yeah. one of the, the brave, the few writing positively about that movie, uh, which I think 
with time, you know, the people who hate it will move on to other things and stop thinking about other things. And the people like it will get more of a market share. And I think that that'll be the the determiner of its legacy, not, you know, the gargantuan quantities of money that it lost for uh, Paramount, whoever did that one. Uh, maybe somebody, which is another thing. In, like, oh, I don't know why, why, why does anyone care what movie loses what money for what megacorp? That's, that's not our business. We're not yeah. business people. Yeah. <laughs> did, did it lose your money, Jimmy Kimmel? I don't understand. Why are you mad about it? I... Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I don't get that. Yeah, I don't get that either. But uh, the ending of that is is extraordinary, and like you you kind of get into the the it, right. It literally shows you kind of what the process, the film, like the the. I mean, it's insane. Yeah, the dying of that is just uh, is phenomenal, and uh, yeah, uh, like kind of yeah, totally immersive in a way that that I don't know. And just yeah, that movie again. It's like uh, I I don't know. Chazelle, right? Exactly. Like La La Land. I mean, like he's like clearly going for you know has color and it's there and it's a great entry in the book, but. Uh, yeah, it was like nice to see him take this massive, massive swing. Yeah, uh, yeah. which this is, I mean, it's the kind of thing that I'm just glad exists in the first place where uh, I, I do happen to like it. But I do. I was like, we should be giving total wackos huge sums of money to do with as they please more. That, that should be just a policy. Yeah, with a sort of like, as I've like come to terms, I, I really enjoyed it as well. But it's like I, I always now come to terms. I'm like, do you watch three hours of a movie that will exhaust you and then like make its main character cry tears of sadness at having watched singing in the rain like if it, it feels like it was reverse engineered with adam on it's like you know the happiest movie of all time it's gonna make this guy going to just crazy. destroy this person yeah, yeah it's, it's, it will do it will just he will be laid waste to by this thing so uh, i i kind of love that as a premise as well um well i think i think we did it we covered a hundred plus years a lot of color and we, and we had fun doing it, didn't we? And we had a good time along the way. That's the most important thing. I mean, I guess unless there's any, is there any other, I don't know. I mean, are there any other things that, again, so it sounds like, you, you know, you had some animation left on the floor. What, oh, so, yeah, there, the one that I actually was very close to including and one that I, uh, you know, in an extended future edition that I would love to is um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is like just the most sickly, unholy looking movie. And I think a lot of that has to do with the way that just like it was it was processed in like a pretty dirty careless way not 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 careless that is to say but it was like this was not a state-of-the-art facility where this film was processed and so it looks like something like gnarly that you found you know in a, in a place that you shouldn't have been rooting around in uh and so yeah that was one that i was uh keen on but could not find a place for but uh yeah there's um I, the good news is we sold out the first printing of the book. The second printing is going to be released, I think, later this month or early next one. And they're doing uh, printings in Spanish, Chinese, Japanese, and French as well, if if your listeners speak those languages and want to read a book in them. Absolutely. I think we go that far. We go that deep. Nice. Uh, huge in france no i don't know. <laughs> los angeles is a city it's a very diverse city you've got people uh of all of all of all stripes absolutely no absolutely and it, it does feel like a book that should belong in like a french apartment i would just say right and just from the look of it uh the the subject matter it's it's it goes good on a mantle definitely and oh yeah absolutely uh it does such a great job and i, and I love these uh I, I i love these types of books where you kind of can also i was like oh great i'll go back and watch some of the searchers and see that it's like John Wayne's wearing a red shirt and a blue handkerchief. And it's like this kind of, he's mirroring the sky and the ground that he's on 
and I love stuff like that. And oh that's okay. Yeah, no, it's um, um, but no, the best part was just you know revisiting all these movies and seeing them in this new way, and just uh, I I had a great time with that aspect, you know, of all the sort of craziness in me that this process um eventually brought out that that part was really rewarding and really really a good time yeah it's sort of like you uh were your own film professor there for a little while you got to yeah program a yeah, class yeah. With <laughs> little uh lesson plans rubric and uh yeah whole thing well you know i was gonna say is there any other sort of um because obviously again this is like incredibly well researched in terms of like every level of it was there any sort of um like additional reading maybe you'd recommend stuff that you found that you were kind of high on that maybe you'd want to pass along additional reading well so there there's a lot uh listed in the back of the book nothing that leaps to mind right now but there is yeah there's like um an additional reading guide back there of uh i, I read most of those some of them i just you know was looking it up and i was like oh this sounds interesting and i thought that i should shout them out um but yeah no i did a lot of you know, reading of interviews with cinematographers, uh, reading of interviews with the directors. People love, here's a fun uh, tip, uh, as you are also in the profession of interviewing, people love discussing process more than their ideas because they already know all the answers because that is stuff that has already happened. And so in these interviews, they will happily talk about like how cameras work and how we did the color and all this stuff. But if you're just like, so what do you think about death? They're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there, there's a lot of good material on on what I was researching. Nice. Well, yeah. What do you think about death? Cool? Bad? I'm pro. Uh, I'm I'm of the same opinion uh, that Val Luton promoting the seventh victim said, where he said, you know, death is good. And I was like, yeah, that sounds about right. That sounds pretty yeah. good. I mean, on that note, I think we got to wrap up. Print it. Print it. Death is good. <laughs> Charles Fresco. Death is good. Boom. We're going to put that on the front of the next cover. Uh, uh, yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. This has been a lovely time. Awesome, man. No, it's a pleasure, and uh, it's a great book. Well, come check it out. Uh, if you're ever in Los Angeles, come out to our Arts Annex, which is where this book will live. It's with all the cool film books. It's with all the cool music books. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love, um, I'm due for a trip to LA, and I love going to bookstores, so that all sounds good. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, Charles, for joining. And like I said, come out to uh, whenever, if uh, I believe we still have some copies in the store. They might have also sold out. It was going quick. But uh, wait for the next printing. If you have to, come to 1814 Vermont and uh, grab your copy from the Skylight Books Arts Annex. Thanks again, Charles. Appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Skylight Books podcast series. We hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to check out the book featured in this episode or others, please visit skylightbooks.com. If you're in the Los Angeles area, stop by for one of our live in-person author events. You can find a calendar on our website. If you like this podcast, leave us a review. It really helps us out. Our music is by Duck the Piano Wire. Till next time. <laughs>